0: You're listening to the Rob Review podcast. Evan Rob and Laura Rob share their thoughts and opinions on teaching, learning, and leadership. And now, the Rob Review podcast with Evan and Laura.
1: Welcome to the Rob Review podcast. And today we are going to do part two of These Practices Must Go. I am here today with Laura Rob. Laura, how are you? I'm
0: doing great and I'm looking forward to this.
1: Our first podcast on These things, Practices Must Go um, received quite a few emails uh, that we got on that. So we thought it would be a really good idea to continue with that, with a couple additional things that we think might need to be rethought in education. So I'm going to begin and my topic for right now will be averages, that we need to let go of averaging as part of classroom grading. Averaging does not give a good impression of what a student knows in relation to the curriculum, especially if their grades have not been steady over the course of a grading period. Here's a little example I like to share with people, and I'll share it with our viewing audience this afternoon. Let's move it outside of the gradebook and move it Onto the track and we're going to give an example of running the mile Laura. So let's say that you want to run the mile and the first time you run the mile you run it in 10 minutes but you work hard and and you train and you get some good coaching along the way uh, and then your mile time improves. It goes from 10 minutes initially to eight minutes to seven minutes and then finally you run a six-minute mile. Now, if you are using an average, you would average 10, 8, 7, 6, but that would not give an accurate representation of how fast you run the mile because you ran the mile ultimately in six minutes.
0: You're right, Evan. And what it does is it, 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 it takes away the positive of progress, of improvement, uh, that average. And uh, when it comes to a grade, you have one low grade, but six high grades, and that low grade just takes away so many points uh, from the growth of a
1: child. That, that is absolutely true, and there's a lot of other ways that you can look at this, and you can share this with, with staff in your building or share with your faculty. Another simple way to do it is to look at temperature over the course of a week, and one particular day you forget to factor in the temperature, uh, and you just put a zero in for that day. Then if they are averaged, you will not have an accurate representation of what the temperature was like over the course of the week. I encourage teachers and I encourage schools to look at mastery learning, to preserve hope in grading, and to make sure that the grade accurately represents a student's understanding of the information, realizing that a lot of kids start off on a particular unit having some struggles, but through interventions and good teaching, they do a lot better. So my question is, is it fair to hold the initial grade where they had struggles against them if at the end of the unit, the summative evaluation, they showed that they actually mastered the material? I would say no. I agree. So, Laura, um, let me hear your suggestion for something that might need to go in education.
0: Okay, one of my pet peeves is book reports. Book reports um, were invented by schools. It is not an authentic genre. You don't find book reports in any magazines. Uh, People don't do book reporting, but they do present book reviews where they give a quick summary of a book, but then they're giving their opinion of the book, why they liked it or didn't like it, whether it grabbed them as a reader and held their interest, or whether they found it boring and why. We need to have students do things in reading and writing that have authenticity and book reports don't. My other pet peeve about book reports is most of the time students are just retelling the whole book. So they're boring, they're long, and they don't show any high-level thinking or any evaluative thinking um, in regards to the book.
1: Yeah, they can certainly take away from the joys and pleasures of reading if after you read the book, you know you have to go through this arduous task of writing a lengthy book report. And Laura, since we're doing a podcast, we like to share some funny tidbits to our audience. You remember very, very well when I was in high school I was in a particular class, and the book report assignment was the book report had to be one-twentieth the size of the book. I
0: remember that. And
1: you remember I was hoping for a really short book and brought home How Green Was My Valley, which was a very, very big book. You helped me with that book report, which I appreciated, but all that I had to do was create a summary that was one-twentieth the size of the book, and that was the determinant for the grade that I was going to get.
0: That book report was over 10 pages, which is a waste of time um, and it's like measuring a, a, a child's work and reading with the amount of pages they can generate. Whether those pages that have been generated say anything worth reading show uh, high-level thinking, making inferences or connections, uh, it wouldn't be in that kind of a book report.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you you sharing that you know book, Book reports, book reviews, rather, uh, can be very helpful if they encourage students to reflect on the reading, to think about the book, to be able to share insights in the book. Um, That's far, far different than simply a summary of the text. Right.
0: And book reviews are short. They're not 10 pages, 20 pages. Uh, But they are what that word says, review. And the word review implies reflection and thinking.
1: Thank you, Laura. You know, we, we both get excited about about book about that topic, and we could certainly go on, but we want to keep rolling through our podcast here. And now I have my thing that I think we need to rethink in education. These this absolutely occurs around the, con- the country. It has to do with planning uh, and how some people plan. So there's two ways that that I kind of uh, observe this, and I'll share with our viewing with our audience here this afternoon. Planning that is no planning at all, which I would call winging it. Um, and then planning that plans out every single day of the school year in August before the school year starts. Um, Kids deserve the best from teachers and from educators all across America, all across the world. Teachers who do not plan cannot be effective in the classroom. Part of being a professional, part of being a, a great teacher is learning how to plan based off a of formative assessment and what your kids need, the actual lessons that they need as they move through their day, a week, and months of school. Planning for an entire year is highly problematic. There's, I've certainly encountered some people over my career who take a lot of pride in knowing what they're going to do every single day of the year, but kids are... kids. They're they're different. Uh, It's not like you're manufacturing something in in a factory. Good teaching looks at formative assessment. Good teaching uh, gathers data. Good teachers adjust to meet the needs of students.
0: Right. You know, it's like the the Cinderella fairy tale. We're taking the child and fitting that child into the lesson plan instead of reversing it and having the lesson plan meet the needs of that child. I think a week out is about all you can plan because planning for the year really has this inference that children never change. So we plan knowing that our kids can do A, B, C, D, whatever, um, and they they will fit into it. But kids grow and change all year.
1: Absolutely. You know, Laura, I can remember this is many, many years ago, but but I had a staff member many years ago who, who loved to plan for the entire year, took tremendous pride uh, in the fact that every single day of the year was completely planned out. Um, but whenever we'd have a snow day, he would get very stressed out because it would mess up the entire flow of the year. Right.
0: Well, I also know teachers uh, like that who planned for the whole year and they just boxed those children in not only did they plan for the year but they would use those plans year after year they prided themselves like this was such a good annual plan that i developed that i'm going to use it next year and the year after
1: thanks for sharing so laura let me move on to your thing that might need to be rethought of in education
0: the whole class novel Uh, You know, I just want to give it a little historical context. When a lot of schools went to literature-based learning, it started with the whole class novel, everybody reading the same book. Districts got involved in it, and a lot of districts in states mandate specific novels that teachers have to teach at each grade level. The problem with that is that Everybody in the class can't read that novel. Moreover, children change, and the novel that was used 10 years ago is still that required novel that teachers are mandated to use today, and it's not relevant or engaging to students. But my biggest concern is that the children who can't read it aren't reading, and they're going backwards. You can have them listen to it on earphones. The teacher can read it aloud. But the bottom line is, the children aren't reading. And if they aren't reading, they're not going to move forward.
1: That, that is a really powerful message, and it resonates with me. And I actually want to repeat that again, which is, If someone is forced to teach the same book to an entire class, they may naturally move into some sort of coping strategy to make it work. And very often, with good intentions, people will read the book out loud um, just to make sure that they're covering the book. However, as you so eloquently just pointed out, the kids who can't read the book If they're not reading, they will not become better readers.
0: Right. I don't know if you remember, Evan, but I remember in sixth grade, your teacher read The Hobbit out loud and spent more than half the year on that book. And that was your reading. You did no independent reading. You did no other instructional reading. Everybody sat passively and listened to The Hobbit.
1: I remember that. I remember that very well. I appreciate you bringing back that memory, Laura. So, Laura, as we are um, concluding our podcast here this afternoon, thank you for um, sharing a couple things that we need to rethink in education. I've enjoyed sharing my things. Thanks for uh, reminding me of some um, very interesting times during my seventh grade language arts class, uh, where, of course, I did not read, but I became a reasonably good listener at that time. To our audience who's listening to this podcast, we encourage you to take an honest look at at some practices that are occurring in your classroom or, or occurring within your school and ask some tough questions because sometimes we cling to things for no other reason than simply we've always done it that way and that is not necessarily what's best for kids so we encourage courageous conversations we encourage reflection and we encourage you to let go of things that you may be holding on to that no longer need to be in American schools this is Evan Rob. thank they- you for listening to the Rob Review Podcast Laura
0: and um, it was great sharing these ideas and I agree with Evan. Please take the time to think about them, to talk about them with colleagues and try finding some ways to make positive change.
1: Thank you, Laura. This is Evan Rob for the Rob Review podcast. We will see you next time.
0: We hope you enjoyed the Rob Review podcast. Check out our blogs at the Robreviewblog.com and tell a friend.